Uh, God, thank you so much for this day, this gift of life. Uh, we're excited to be in this place together um, as we explore again another topic of spiritual disciplines. Uh, help us come open and willing um, to receive whatever it is you would have us to receive today. Um, we lift up um, the folks on our list this morning, both who are dealing with the loss of a loved one. Uh, we pray for your grace and peace and mercy to fall upon that family, these, these families. And we also recognize that there are so many more that could be on this list that are uh, in recovery, that are suffering in, in seasons of suffering, of loss, of pain. But then there's also those who are celebrating new life, new relationships, um, reconciliation, and joy. And we stand with all of that, the good and the bad within this community. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Okay. So before I start, uh, to kind of give you, I was thinking I need to kind of give you all a, uh, we actually have all our dates set for the rest of our summer. And we'll put this, if you're not on our email list, uh, we do send out at least one email for, to our kind of class that we have, um, kind of as a recap of what all has happened in here. And we will this week post this list of who will be coming to speak. Uh, so next week, July 9th, we will have Jim Frost, and he'll be talking about retreat. Then on July 16th, we'll be talking about examine with Jackie Halstead. Then Mallory Wyckoff will be back in here with self-care, followed by Jim Frost again with spiritual direction. Then Nancy Posey, Posey with service. Then Emily Sutzman will be talking about care of the earth. And then Mike Cagle will be talking about fasting. And then Jackie Halstead will end our time together with uh, the class on discernment. So that's what's coming down the pipeline. We've got a lot of great folks that are going to be standing up here and presenting on the different spiritual disciplines. But today, you all came to the right class because we we're talking about confession. So I hope you're ready to tell us all your deep and dark secrets in this class. No, I'm just joking. You don't, yeah, we're not doing that. Uh, but we are talking about confession, and I'm excited about that. So to start us off, I wanted to show, uh, it's a video, it's a few minutes, but I think it's a great way for us to kind of enter into this discussion about confession and what this, uh, what this could look like. That she's way too small. Hold on. That is not, that won't work. Okay. Let's do this. Yeah. Just going a little bootleg. Don't mind us. Don't do that. Maybe we'll 
not blow our ears off. There we go. And oh.
And again, this is one of those things the church has been practicing confession for years and years and years. We don't have to reinvent the wheel on this. I think we just have to rearticulate it to a new generation. Uh, the power of confession, the power of communion, all of these things, uh, the power of anointing sick and anointing suffering is holy. All of these things are just as relevant and powerful and important as they were 2,000 years ago. Um, and confession is just an example of that, a beautiful example of that. A lot of churches sort of have the pulpit as the center of the church, and then, and it's a very much a sort of teacher-student model, which I think is less effective this day and age, especially in the information age. One thing I, I love about um, the Episcopal tradition is that the table is at the center. Um, I, once I visited an Episcopal church where the building was literally built around the table, the, it, and people sat in a circle, and the pulpit was even kind of off to the side. It was a beautiful, beautiful example of architecturally representing what the church is all about, and that is Christ at the center, the table at the center, and sitting in a circle rather than with just a leader at the front and the sort of followers or listeners or learners in the back. But not all of us can create that architecturally in our church, but I think we can create that mentality in our church where the table is at the center um, of our community and where um, we don't think of ourselves as teachers and learners, but as a recovery group of people sitting in a circle, telling the truth of their experiences, um, admitting their helplessness and their dependency, that's AA language, and telling the truth. I think the church has always offered that, and if it continues to offer that, it will be radically countercultural because this day and age, we're able, in my generation especially, we're able to so tailor our lives, our sort of online brand, we're able to tailor how people perceive us based on selecting information and putting it on the internet, how we like it, and I'm as skeptical <coughs> of this as anybody. Um, but I think in confession and in truth-telling, the church offers a counter-cultural path where we tell, surround ourselves with people who really know us, the good, the bad, the ugly, the sins, um, and that it's in those relationships that we really encounter Christ, that we really grow. Uh, the church should be a place where you can't edit your brand. <laughs> it's got to be a place where you tell the truth and where those truths are held in love and where reconciliation, repentance, and redemption are pursued. Okay. I also found these great photos here, if I can get back to my mouse. Oh, that was really funny. The kid there with the priest saying, you first, and then, can barely see that one, but it says, uh, have you sinned, my child? And he said, it's all on my blog site, Father. <laughs> So, um, Rachel, 
you know, presented some very interesting things in uh, the opening video. And so before I kind of launch into some things that I'd um, kind of been thinking about when it comes to this topic, I for sure want to get a reaction, comments, thoughts on the things that Rachel talked about in the video before we do that. Mm-hmm. And I've lived, you know, definitely experienced that in my life where, um, you know, for me the most transformative period where I became more willing to be open and vulnerable was after someone was willing to do that. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Other thoughts? Okay. Um, I'll start off by saying this. This is a quote that I've found incredibly helpful in thinking about this topic of confession. Confession is a difficult discipline for us because we all too often view the believing community as a fellowship of saints before we see it as a fellowship of sinners. We feel that everyone has advanced so far into holiness that we are so isolated and alone in our own sin. We cannot bear to reveal our failures and shortcomings to others. We imagine that if we imagine that we are the only ones who have not stepped into the high road to heaven. Therefore, we hide ourselves from one another and live in veiled lies and hypocrisy. But if we know that the people of God are first fellowship of sinners, we are free to hear the unconditional call of God's love and to confess our needs openly before brothers and sisters. We know that we are not alone in our sin and the fear and pride that clings to us also clings to others. We are sinners together. In acts of mutual confession, we release the power that heals. Our humanity is no longer denied, but transformed. And it's also been said, the truth will set you free, but not until it's finished with you. Um, Confession is a hard topic, and I believe that part of that is wrapped up in we have a, most of us, at least for me personally, have not experienced confession done in the best ways that they possibly could be done. Um, sometimes they've been uh, harmful, and people have been, uh, have literally been kicked out of communities because they have spoken a true thing about who they are, about what they believe, about a thing they have done, or a thing they're currently wrapped up in. Um, and I also think that we have a very 
small view sometimes of what confession is because even with that quote which I think is a great quote and what I think Rachel said was beautiful too um, but there's also a, a variety of confessions that exist right not only is there the confession of I have sinned I have done a wrong I have harmed someone I'm harming myself etc but there's also uh the idea of confessing that I, I don't have all the answers. And I don't, I, I mean, it's even, think about it in your own friend groups and family groups. Like we, sometimes you, you've been placed situations where they're all of the friends who are, who may be a little bit more financially secure than you are, are doing X amount of trip or this thing or that thing. And there becomes a moment where you have to confess that like I can't do that right now because I don't have the money to do that. Like that's a sense of confession. And that's a sense of being humbled in the fact that I can't do it all. I can't be it all. I don't have all the answers. Um, but for sure we can talk about all day even as most of us in this room who are currently in a work situation or have been in a work situation and we get caught up in a lie on top of a lie on top of a lie on top of a lie. Well, I, I don't check that email address that often. Or I got a new phone number. Sorry I didn't get that voicemail. You know, we can think of constant examples of the little lies and you know, sleight of hand, if you will, in our own daily lives, whether it's with friends, family, work, whatever. And what's also interesting to me is that it's something interesting that at least we're thinking about is why is it that when it comes to confession, most of the time when we're received, when someone is ready to confess something, not all the time, but usually someone is either had a little bit too much adult beverage, and now they're just spilling the beans on everything and on everybody, right? Or they've hit rock bottom so bad that it's like, I, that's all I can do is to confess it all. Like rarely has, I rarely have we probably encountered people who are in somewhat of a healthy place just saying, you know what, I need to confess some things. I need to be truthful about saying, I need to get some things off my chest. Because essentially what we've talked about before and hopefully what we'll continue to be talking about is that there's freedom in these disciplines and there's freedom in confession. And we're going to turn to some passages here in just a minute, but we, we know this, like a bulk of Jesus' teachings is about forgiveness. Well, we got to get to, we got to confess in order to get the forgiveness. We got to confess in order to get the grace, to get the mercy. But we first have to, to speak it out loud. Um, and I think what was wrapped up even in the fact what, what she's talked, what Rachel talked about, what this the earlier quote talked about, is that we've often forgot that there is true beauty inside of us, and that's a gift from God. But I think many of us can't take it seriously. We don't. We don't get it. We don't believe it. Because uh, somewhere we were taught that the true self isn't welcome in this world, in society, in your groups that you run in. 
and therefore we've created the false selves, the false identities. We've put up the walls because uh, that's what we think that we have to do to move in the world that we live in. But again, what we know time and time again is that when we go and do the hard work of confessing, like that's the beauty of a lot of us in the room or in small groups of some type. That's the beauty and the power in a small group, in a life group, whatever you want to call it, is that you feel so comfortable, connected with some people, hopefully, that you're able to get the things off your chest, off that's been weighing you down for years. And for some, you know, there's, uh, especially within the Richard Foster book, he even talks about us looking back even on our lives and like, have we confessed the things that we did or had happened to us or that were a part of our lives in childhood and adolescence and college life and even now in adulthood. And there's some things that a lot of us in the room are holding on so tight because we think no one, no one can handle it. No one's ready to hear it. No one wants to hear it. People will flee and leave if they knew. Fill in the blank. But because we forget so quickly when positive things happen, um, we know that when we've gone and when we've done the confessing, when we've said something that was hard, when we said something that was true about who we are, while there have been times that people have rejected and left and abandoned, there have also been so many more times that people have rallied around, ready to stand beside us, ready to walk with us. And they would say, I wish you would have told me sooner. I wish you would let me answer. Because I feel like most of us in this room feel like that we're those kind of people. That we would love, we would, we would welcome someone to confess and to be honest and raw with us because we would love to walk beside them and with them and whatever it is that they have to let out. But yet at the same time, even though a lot of folks feel like they are the ones that can receive a confession and walk with someone in the, in the aftermath of that, we don't want to do it ourselves. We have a fear wrapped in trying to do it ourselves. Okay, so Proverbs is a good little bit that I'll share here. Just Proverbs 28, verse 13 says. No one who conceals transgressions will prosper, but the one who confess, confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. That's Proverbs. So it's not just something that some Christian author cooked up. This is from Proverbs, right? We see even in the Psalms, and especially in, let me get to my place here. Um, Psalm 20, Psalm 32, verse 5. 
Then I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And then for future reading, there's Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. And then even in James, the brother of Jesus, we see him say in in chapter 5, verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another for the righteous is powerful and effective. So Rachel can say it. Richard Foster and other Christian authors can say it. But now we have the writers of the Bible who are encouraging us to yes, and I agree with Rachel in a very big way of what does it look like when we become more like an AA group, a support group, than what we've often talked about around here at Otter Creek is rejecting the kind of country club <coughs> mindset of church. And it is hilarious that we're literally next door to a country club. Like that is just hilarious. Like that is so funny to me. But um And I think that, you know, especially when it comes, especially in that Proverbs 8 or 28 passage, you know, uh, the, so it says, no one who conceals transgressions will prosper, no one who, uh, but one who confesses, forsakes and obtain, and obtain mercy. Uh, transgression, uh, or no, uh, confess there is the idea of to speak out, to cast out. That's what that original meaning comes from. And I think that we just got to remember that confession leads to freedom. And I think, too, the big challenge that I've noticed, in, in, especially in Christian communities, is the idea uh, that we must speak of present things that are happening. So when it ends up happening, especially in church leaders and lay leaders and just people who are just in the church, we might freely talk about past transgressions and past things that we were wrapped up in and past sins that used to have a stronghold on us, etc. right? That's easy. I can say, well, in high school, I used to do X, Y, Z. And it, it's safe that way. But it's really tough for us to talk about things that are presently happening right now in our lives. And that's the business we're in. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm confessing. I'm being truthful. I'm letting you know into my life. But like, what, what happened this week? What happened yesterday that needs confession? What happened, you know, last month? What happened on that Wednesday at work? Like, those are the, I, I feel like we've got to get to a place where we can, where we can speak in our in present tense about the things we need to confess and not just in the past tense. 
But I do think once we get to the idea of letting go, um, freedom will happen, beauty takes form, and uh, reconciliation happens. And so honestly, when you think about, when I think about confession now, it has in some ways still a spiritual discipline that I want to practice, but it's more become this idea of a sacrament that should be happening regularly. As regularly as I go to the table to receive the bread and the cup, I should be regularly in this business of confession. And that's why we do see a lot of our other brothers and sisters in different um, Christian traditions, confession is a part of the, of the every week service. And sometimes, and I, was, and I left out the other idea of confession, is the acknowledgement of something. When we confess that we are all in, in a line and agree and are for these certain things. I confess that, we confess to me that we are for bringing about justice and peace and mercy and hope and love into our city. Um, and so maybe if we not only think of confession and the idea of asking for forgiveness and, and speaking truth to sins and, and transgressions and things that have been unhealthy for us, but it's also um, this idea of confessing the good things and the things that we're for um, and not just against. I, um, hey, yeah, go you, ahead. Yeah, hop seems, in there. It seems to me that there's, you know, one of the challenges for confession in a community like ours is that there are people clearly who carry around big, heavy weights that are very present all the time. And then there are, and, and this probably isn't just people, there are phases of our lives where we have those things, and there's phases where the things we really need to confess are much more subtle. Yeah. You know, they're much, it, like it takes a measure of self-awareness and introspection to acknowledge, I'm like really distanced from my wife right now. I'm protecting myself. Right. I'm not opening up. I'm very self-absorbed or I'm very materialistic right now or I'm very, I'm greed has got a lot of power in me. And those things I think can be so subtle that we don't even see them in ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I think there has to be, you know, maybe that's part of what confession does is it calls us to look inward and say, right. what, what is really going on? Am I really being the person that I believe I'm called to be? Yeah. You know? And yeah. I think, and I think that those are very, I think some of those differences, because it's, it's easy to say, well, I'm not doing the list of the big, the big things, the big six not breaking the 10 commandments. Right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so to think, well, I don't let everything confess. Right. No, and I think the, and the, the big, and you're right, the, and the biggest challenge with that is keeping our ego in check. Because the ego will for sure want to say, no, you don't, that's, that's not on you. That's not your fault. That's their fault. That's on them. You're, you're in the right. They're, if, any, if anything, they should be confessing to you. Because they're the ones at fault. And you're right, it's this idea of self-reflection and, and, and keeping the ego in check enough to where you can actually, like you said, be self-reflective enough to understand, wait, here are some little things that I've, maybe I was a little short with that person. I, I have been distanced from not only my wife or my husband, but maybe my whole family because I haven't been truthful and confessed some things 
or have been honest in that, hey, you, you all hurt me in this way. You didn't even realize it, but you did. And I was hoping you realized what you did, but I now realize that you're not psychic. <laughs> and, but again, some, yeah, it's, that's, that's a perfect, perfect thing. Any other thoughts? I'm just kind of, I'm just riffing over here. Uh, I go all day on this. <laughs> to you, what does confession in an evangelical Protestant church look like? Because my first thought with confession is going to the booth and talking to a priest. And I know that's not yeah. the only way, but yeah. that's just sort of where my brain goes. I'm like, well, we don't have that here, so. Yeah, and so there's, the, I would say there's three, three things come to mind. Um, one is, uh, I actually wrote this down, is that we, you know, we um, create a journal of confessions. And we write those out. We get those out. We confess what needs to be confessed and we get it down with pen and paper or on the key or in your little Word document or whatever that may look like for you. I think another way is, yeah, we don't have priests, but we have ministers and we have shepherds and uh, we have ministry leaders uh, who are men and women who are willing to, to step into that, into that place. Now, obviously, you have to do some discernment yourself on, like, is this person a person that I want to, like, pour out into? Um, but I think you have that. And then I do think that there is an idea of the public form of it. Sometimes that even if it's something small, and that's the thing, too, you're right. When we're right, too, like, sometimes when we think about going forward within a church setting, like, you better be coming with some big guns if you're coming forward. Like, coming forward just because you stubbed your toe and you said a dirty bird, like, that's, come on, you know, like. But sometimes we may need to step forward and say, I just want to public say I want to make some I want to confess and you can speak in ways in, in which it's an acknowledgement that like I'm going first and I I want people to know that I'm not where I want to be right now I'm in a not great space um, but I definitely think that we find those people uh, that we can confess to and if we are those people then we receive that, we pray for it, we pray over that person in that moment. And it's one of those things where um, when, I, when I remember, and I try to remember often, is that when someone does make a confession to you or releases some information to you and it starts to pour it out, it's like, let's pray right here, right now, versus, well, that, okay, I got that, I wanna be praying for you. And there's something powerful and like in the moment we're saying the prayer over the friend, over the family member, right there in that moment. And it's something that, it's just something beautiful about that. But those are some, just some ideas I would say, is finding people, getting into a group, a small group. I mean, that's, you know, while we may make maybe a tough journey to get to like, make this whole community like an AA thing, because that, that's gonna take some time and, and some energy and some intentionality, but that can for sure, could be what your small group looks like. Like a small group can for sure turn into that if we allow it to. Yeah. Any other thoughts? We probably need to wrap up here soon. Any other thoughts? Um, thought, 
on top of all that, confessing what other people have done to you. Yeah. And I, I sometimes think like we, I mean, even for me, like I'm, I'm not a person that always like just comes out and says like I'm really bothered by this. You know, I'm I'm a pretty laid back guy, so I can take quite a lot before I explode. You know, like, and I can just kind of like brush all the shoulders. But there also comes a point where like I really just I, honestly yeah, I need to come forward. And so yeah. everyone's on a different range of yeah. tolerance. And it just brought me back to the, the story that uh, when Saul's trying to kill David, and it's like a few chapters worth of story, but pretty much just like a few months of Saul literally like throwing spears at David, putting him on the front lines to kill him, like mm-hmm. doing all these things. And finally, like, David's like, I gotta run because he's gonna kill me in the morning. That's what his wife tells him. And he goes and he says, it says here, uh, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And then he and Saul went to Nadab and stayed there. But it, it's this concept of like, he he, hit the, he went and talked to someone and God protected him for doing that, that he made all Saul and his men start prophesying to, you know, and delayed them from his, his pursuit. Mm. Uh, so I definitely think there's some godliness to you know, finding people just to say, hey, this is all the other things are good too. Right. But, oh. But that's not gossip. What's that? If you had something against somebody and you went and told somebody else, is that is that gossip? I mean. I mean, I think there's. You. I I I perceive it as we will know when we're in gossip territory and when we're in confession and asking and, and confessing something territory. Yeah. So so I I think it would. Be, I mean, that's a biblical example. So yeah. I mean, but I think, like, if you're mad at somebody, you should go and talk to them instead of talking to somebody else about oh, it. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, he couldn't really go to Saul and talk yeah. to him. Yeah. And, I, I mean, and that may be the situation. Like, you may be in a situation where things are in such friction that right now I can't go directly talk to the person, so I need to confess my part of this and what has happened, and then I need to find a way, maybe with the help of others, to go and sit and be with this person that we do have this wedge between us. And so I think that there is, there is that, that is part of it. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, it's really easy to go to somebody else and tell them how you've been mistreated by somebody yeah. I mean, that, that just makes you feel so good and you feel yeah. so, so justified and so godly mm-hmm. that, you know, look what they've done to me. And I think too, as people who receive these comments and receive these conversations, that's our encouragement to say, how do we go and get you and this person to sit together? What does that need to look like? Do I need to be a be an aid in that? Um, that so yeah, really he did go see Samuel, who was the prophet of God. You know, he didn't he didn't go to you know X Y Z. You know, he didn't go to his, his neighborhood. Yeah. he went to a, God, a person under God that's he like I need godly. Yeah. Cool. That's good. Okay, so one two things and we're done. I just want to leave leave you with these two thoughts. Um, this idea of letting go, and then, uh, yeah, just one last comment. Uh, there are three things that we have to let go of. First is the compulsion to be successful. Second is the compulsion to be right, especially theologically right. And finally, it's the compulsion to be powerful and to have everything under, under our control. And then the last thing I'll say is that if we don't confess, if we don't, let go if we don't release the things that are within us. Um, it, the, the, a great analogy to think about is a balloon. And if you don't eventually the air out of a balloon, you keep put pumping air into it, the balloon's gonna pop. And when that balloon pops, 
it can't be put back together. And if it is, it's gonna not look pretty. But instead, if we go through the hard work of releasing these things, releasing um, what's within us, confessing these things, I think some beautiful things can happen. And we'll uh, live in the true freedom that Christ has offered to us. Thanks. Have a good one.